Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Absurdity. I am back with Tony Anoboli. So, Tony, say hi. Hello, mortals. You know what's sad? Uh, the death of... I can of... no longer call you... Huh? What, the death of... The death of what? I was I was just going to bring up the the genocide that's going on in Yemen, but continue with what's sad. No, no, no. This is much worse. Okay. Uh, the what's sad is that I can no longer call you my creditless co-host. I mean, because your bio is on the website. Yeah, tec- technically you can't. I mean, in reality you can because it's still absurdity with Ryan Becker. I had. Uh, uh, by the way, we we've got like three more listeners this week. I met with uh, some of the people from Texas. And I was talking about podcasts, and they're like, oh, I'll have to check it out. And I was like, yeah, please do. And uh, they were like... Wait, people from Texas, like employers or people from Texas? No, no, like, no, like like fellow people. colleagues, workers. Um, oh, okay. And so, yeah, and so they were like, oh, let me, I'll check it out. And I was like, cool. And then they went to check it out, and uh, they were like, oh, absurdity with Ryan Becker. And I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, that's it. And you could kind of see the confusion on their face, like, I, okay. And so, <laughs> no, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's the one. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So I like that. Yeah, because you're a bandwagoner, Tony. You're a bandwagon co-host. I so am. I will even, I'll take that. That's... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the guy who became a Miami Heat fan after 2006. Or when did, but, no, when did LeBron leave? 2006? 2007, I thought. Was it? Like, I don't know. Whenever, whenever that, when LeBron came, all of a sudden I started well, wearing that. Tony, here's the thing. I, I know I rag on you a lot because I can. Um, as, as you the thing, <laughs> No, the thing that I, I don't think people realize is I don't know if I could have kept this podcast going if you had not come on. Oh, board. man, don't 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 get all sentimental um, on me. Nope. Uh, str- seriously, I. Uh, the solo episodes that I used to produce, which I'm going to be producing a few of those uh, coming yeah. up soon. Yeah, we've as been well, talking about that. There have been people asking for them, but. And especially for Patreon, I'm going to be doing some solo episodes as well. We'll just call them the monologues. The, but those, yeah, exactly. The 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 issue was the solo episodes would take me upwards of six to eight hours to make. Yeah, from research to script to all of it, at least at least six to eight hours. Yeah, and uh, that's that in my current job is unsustainable. Uh, so well, the I fact think I mean the reality is like on board, like even but, even in your in your past job, like that's a burnout, right? Like that's a, that's a really yeah. high, like that's a no, lot of hard. work hours. And it's not just like six to yeah. eight hours of like sitting at a desk. Like you're, you're actually going out and doing work and researching and it's, those are intense hours. Well, and, and this is, this is something too, that there was no one to bounce ideas off with. There yeah. was no one to balance things out. There was no one to give discussion to this. 
it was just me. And now we there's a team of three of us, uh, which is crazy to think about, by the way, just in general, yeah. it's crazy to think yeah. about. But the fact that this went from a one-man operation now to a three-man in two years, and, and who knows where the future takes us from yeah. here, but it's just... Uh, yeah, no. Without you, I don't. I don't think I could have kept this going. Period. I think I would have burned out around fifty, uh, and that's that. I think that would have been all she wrote. Just just for the sheer work amount of work that yeah. was involved. On top of that, and I've been I I'm talking about this more recently because I finally accepted it about myself. Um, and I don't. I uh, this is this one's going to be hard to admit. Um, but I actually, you don't know this, Tony, so this is going to shock you a little bit. Uh, we're all in this together audience. Uh, I haven't read a book in over two years. And the reason for that is because I can't get through it. Um, I've been having a lot of focusing problems and problems where I can't sit still problems where, uh, I can't listen to audiobooks because it, uh, my mind will wander, and if I you miss ten seconds of an audiobook, you have no idea. Like, yeah, you can't <laughs> what, just what you miss. Like, skip like you back can't, a page. You can't just, yeah, podcasting actually is the biggest way that I've been able to hear opinions and do research because with conversational podcasts, you can dip in and out and be okay. Um, but there's this feeling if you're you know if you're trying to hold your breath for a lo- as long as you can, and near the end of your rope, like you start kind of shaking and you feel like. I need to take a breath. I need to take a breath. I need to. I, and then you like, let's say you're underwater, you jump out and you gasp for air, right? You, you breathe in yep. really hard. Uh, that's me. If I'm reading a book or sitting still, uh, it literally, uh, if I say like, I'm just going to finish this chapter, the last four or five pages are just that feeling the entire way. And it becomes about finishing the chapter more so than under, than actually, actually yeah. understanding what I yeah. read. So I don't, I don't comp. I, it's not that I can't comprehend. I, my reading, my critical reading skills are fine. Right. My like I can understand it. I'm I'm perfectly fine there, but I can't make myself sit down and read. And it's been one of the biggest shame causes for me over the last two years. Yeah. And um, so I finally last week, uh, now that I sit in a lot of meetings and I see that I can't sit still or sit the same way all the other professionals are, uh, I'm like it's really kind of beaten down on me. So I finally got an uh, appointment on March 29. I'm going to go see a psychiatrist uh, and get tested for ADHD and Sweet. go from go from there. I don't know if that's what I have. I don't. I, maybe it's nothing. Um, but it's super frustrating. And it, it, uh, I mean, we'll see what we'll see where it goes. From speaking as someone, I mean, this isn't what the episode's about. So I'll quickly yeah, I know. wrap we'll this tangent up. Into it. Don't uh, worry, you're but good. no, like the speaking as someone who has struggled with that for a long, long time. Um, people think that. In fact, I just recently tweeted something like this out. You know, people think that it's uh, just a minor inconvenience. And I'm like, no, it's every day. It's like somebody who can't, um, it's not that they can't see straight, but their eyes are constantly crossing. Um, my sister had that's like myopia or something like that. Um, and it wasn't that her eyes would cross like the front. It's that uh, the lens would go backwards. So she was constantly having to focus her eyes every time. Mm. And she would she would have major eye strain, and now she has contacts and grew out of it. But um, she was constantly always holding her eye. I remember that she was always holding her eyes, and it's because it helps with the eye strain because it kind of pulls, literally pulls the eye uh, back, and that's what it's like with your brain. So when people when I say like, oh, I don't organize well, I'm not saying like, oh yeah, I don't like to organize. I'm saying it's literally me having to mentally and sometimes physically force my brain to do something that it's not accustomed to. And if you haven't done it in a long time or it's just something you're not good at, you know what I mean? And so it really, anything well, it, that can and take the skill is, uh huh, or the, not the skill, the, the, the ability, the ability is different for everyone. Yeah. So like what it limits you from doing is different for oh, everyone. Yeah, completely. For some people, for some people, just starting to do laundry, yeah. right, is the yeah. thing, is insurmountable to them. Once you actually, actually get reading, the thing and, yeah. Yeah. I was reading about a guy who, um, he was like, for me, uh, cleaning up after myself is, or picking up laundry is the hardest thing in doing laundry, is, or, or, or uh, hanging up towels, things like that. So he's like, if you go into my bathroom, I have a ton of towels, and it's so that I can one and done. I throw them in the wash, or I, I use one. And then I throw it in the dirt, like a dirty hamper, and then I wash them later because I cannot, like for me, hanging towels is the insurmountable task. And so he's created an alternative method yeah. 
for using towels in his bathroom. And that's just the thing for him. And that may sound ridiculous to someone, but disorders don't care. Yeah, facts they, don't care about do your feelings. Not, they disorders do don't care. care about <laughs> what you think is possible or impossible. They really don't. Uh, for me, yeah, starting tasks is a big problem. I also have hyperfocus. That's the thing most people don't realize is I have no balance. So some people can do something and focus on it and be aware of what's going on around them. I'm either like hyper aware of what's going on around me and not focusing on the thing that's in front of me, AKA the person talking to me, or I am hyper focused on the thing and earthquakes and death and devastation. The Avengers could be happening behind me, but if I'm reading a book, I am like in that book and I'll walk out. Why is New York destroyed? Like I'll have no clue what's going on. Um, because of that hyper focus and I lose track of time and I'm not kidding. Like I will literally be doing something and I'll be like, why is it dark? I'll be like, oh my gosh, it's, you know, nine o'clock at night or whatever. Mm. Um, and people don't realize that. Like they really do not realize that, uh, that you can, those things affect. So yeah, I'm glad you're getting help for that. Do it. Um, I actually remember sitting in my office last week looking for a psychiatrist on like my health insurance, yeah. like look up a provider yeah. in network. And I remember when I finally found one, because it turns out most of the people that I could find were either like social work people, like counselors, or they specialized in working with children. And I'm like, <clears throat> yeah, I'm sorry, not a child. excuse me. Uh, uh, yeah, I was like, I'm not a child. Well, I finally found one. I, I froze. When I was ready to call, like I lean, I went to go grab my phone and I like I froze like, why am I hesitating to do this? Like, like, why? Why am I suddenly scared? It's been a long time since I felt that kind of fear. So um, I am excited to get this out of the way and, and to, like not get this out of the way, obviously, but just figure out Again, what's going start on. Start the process. It's a process, man. Just like yeah, depression. For sure. Um, it's it's a it's a process like it's, it's going to be there for the rest of your life. What you can do is learn how to not just manage it because it makes it sound like it's a like it's MS or something, um, you can make it work for you. You just got to know your strength. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've been successful to this point without anything. So, you know, if that's, if I don't have anything and meds don't help, cool. I mean, I know I can do this and at least I can say, well, you know, this is just who I am. Accept it uh, to people who get mad yeah. that I fidget. I mean, but there's even, there's like, but, there's little things you can do. Like there's little stuff. Yeah. So talking about, um, you know, you brought up an interesting point with the idea that a lot of people focus on children. A lot of people think that mental health only uh, is a is a kid's problem. Like they assume there's that stigma of like, well, you're a grown up, deal with it now. And that kind of is what we're going to talk about today a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, and just before we segue into that, there's one thing I want to say because I always leave it to the end of the episode, and I want to. Bring it to the Dude, forefront. I, I it was a perfect you, segue. I set up so well. It was a perfect segue. I perfect segue. So well. And I felt so bad that we're gonna the pause entire it. time that you said it, I knew I was going to destroy <laughs> it. I knew it the whole time you were talking. I was like, I'm going to ruin this for him. Uh, oh, well. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, Go for it. No, this is what I wanted to say. We are 80% of the way, or almost 80% of the way to oh, our right. first Patreon goal. So um, if you have not, if you don't know what Patreon is, it's the way that you can financially support this podcast. Uh, Our first goal is $100 a month. Uh, That covers a lot of our base fees and uh, the costs, kind of our operating costs. So uh, if you want to support this podcast financially, uh, I pay about $300 a month to run this. So that's kind of the baseline goal just to break even on this podcast. Just so that we're okay. Yeah. So patreon.com slash absurdity podcast. You can make an account and you can sign up uh, to do reoccurring monthly giving to us a dollar, five dollars. It all goes uh, right back into the podcast. Five dollars gets you bonus episodes once per month for for now. It'll increase as time goes on. But once a month for now Uh, and ad free episodes and any dollar amount gets you ad free episodes. So um, thank you guys so much for being a part of this journey with us. But yeah, let's it's, talk about. Uh, our, let's, our, let's talk about. We appreciate what? all of our viewers, but to me, like when when I hear like, "Oh man, you know, they became a Patreon guy." It's like it's so cool because it feels, it feels like they're part of the team. Like we we say it's a three man operation. It really isn't. Like each one of our Patreon people, they really are part of the team because they they give us literally the ability to do this. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. It, it's super they cool. they empower this, and it's affirmation. 
That's what it is. It's affirmation. It, does, it is. It's uh, like we value. We think that you guys are awesome, and we're going to help out. And and again, it's not even symbolic. Like that dollar a month actually helps. Like it's literally helps. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so today we're going to be talking about ageism, uh, and uh, this is kind of. This has been something that's really been bugging me lately, yeah. but not for the reason people think. Um, and when I say ageism, I don't just mean like prejudice against uh, old people. I don't mean precedence against a gener- our generation just in general. I'm talking specifically within uh, the religious realm. So I'm talking about within Christianity. I'm not really sure how this affects other faith traditions. I would assume to some extent it might, uh, but I don't know. I don't know enough about other faith traditions and the cultures therein yeah. to, to to say if it does. But I can at least speak from an Adventist framework. And by the way, I, I do want to I do want to add this clarification point. Whenever Tony and I say that we're talking from an Adventist lens or Adventist framework, we're not saying that we're going to be quoting Ellen White to you and quoting Bible verses to you and fundamental beliefs. What we're saying is we're actually just doing through through the this through the lens of our, our own lens, Adventist yeah. experience. This is our personal lens as Adventists. So let's just get that disclaimer out of I the mean, way it's, here. It's I like, think it's, it's needed from now on. It's like us saying it. We're going to tell it from the male perspective because both of us are cis males. Yeah. Like that's just yeah. That exactly. I can't say I can't say it from you know a, a, a gay woman's perspective because I'm neither gay nor female. Like that's not I can't. Yeah, I can only tell it from mine. So. Um, so I want to do this as is tradition. We're going to give us a foundation for our conversation and operating definition for ageism within the religious realm. Uh, that way you can know exactly what we're talking about as we, as we use this term. Um, operating definition. That's what we're going to say. All right. Um, I'm going to soundbite that whenever you text me. Whenever you text me, it's just just going to say, operating definition. (laughs) Just like a big fire explosion (laughs) in the background. The we need uh, a sound engineer. Some people are like that. Literally, some someone's listening to this going, "Man, March twenty nine can't come soon enough." Right? Uh, right. <laughs> Brian's appointment can't come soon enough. So the defi- the operating definition for ageism is prejudice against generations or a generation uh, for preconceived ideas or for the behavior of a few. So um, prejudice against a generation for their for preconceived ideas about that generation or because of the behavior of a few. I would also add um, the the, the common expression that I think we're going to kind of focus on here is assuming the ideas or beliefs or practices are outdated or wrong because of age or assumed life experience. So this is something that growing up, I think I experienced a ton. And the reason, you know, this was this was always something like I actually remember my grandmother always telling me uh, she would tell me there was this thing I used to do all the time. I'd sit in the backseat of my car and I'd wave out the back window and I'd give them a thumbs up or I'd just say hi and I'd be smiling. Right. Like I didn't look like yeah. I was in danger, but I would right. wave to truckers or whatever. Right. I was a kid. My grandma would tell me like, Ryan, sit down. You'll understand when you're older. Don't turn around. Uh, I'd be like, why? She's like, You'll understand when you're older. And uh, I'm older and I don't understand like i get it from like the seatbelt perspective but outside of that i don't like but there's a lot of that like you're too young to understand you're too young to have a voice here you're too young for your opinion to really have any carry any weight here what uh, do you know you're, that, yeah like ah what do you know yeah absolutely uh this was something that i faced even as a pastor uh there's actually an interview coming out on the lead podcast with me uh here soon where I talk about my first two years in ministry. And one of the things that I had to battle was the preconceived notions or ideas that people had against me, uh, against millennial pastors. And even now, as someone who stepped out of ministry, I talk to ministerial directors, I talk to pastors, and they think, well, you know, I hope one day, I hope you haven't, you know, I hope you are willing to give pastoring another try one day, or I, you know, I hope this isn't the end. And I'm like, it's, it's not the end. I didn't leave pastoring. All I did was leave uh, a specific job for another specific job. And a salary. But they they just kind of assume that I fit the statistic that says that a lot of people, a lot of pastors are quitting after two to three years of ministry. And so I have to fight against all these ideas of who I am that are not based in the reality of a relationship with me. So... It's, it was super frustrating. I felt like I had this weight on my back to prove to older pastors, to prove to more experienced people, and to prove to the older people and even my churches that I could do this. 
And every single time I made a mistake, every single time, whether it was like a out of order business, like in a, in a board meeting, like an out of, a, you know, an uh, out of order point or a point of order thing issue or whatever. You didn't, you didn't like, present. I didn't do a vote. Parliamentary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Every time I did that, I felt so much shame uh, because I felt like I lost whatever little respect I had from the people at the table. And and this was this was super frustrating. And um, it's something that a lot of young people are feeling because they feel like they don't have a lot of say or a lot of voice. And it's simply because their voice doesn't seem to matter. So that's kind of my introductory thoughts on this. Tony, I'll uh, let you take it from here. No, I, I I'm 100 percent with you. Um, you know, when I hear ageism, I think. Of. That. Typical stereotype um you know for old people well, all right, i'll give it i'll give a quick story so my buddy and i uh his name is jordan he lived we lived together for a few years at southern and um we used to have this kind of stereotype or trope cliche whatever you want to call it but old people that they always would say the phrase um hip-hop jazz music, right? Like, ah, you kids in your hip-hop jazz music, right? Mm. And then um, one of the leaders in the Southern Union, I'm not going to say who, but let's just say he's a black guy with a very calm, strong demeanor and a, and a lovely, deep voice. So if you're from the Southern Union, you know who this is. And yep, he I came, know exactly yeah, he came in. He came in. Wonderful man, by the way. Great guy. But he came oh, in, he guy. came in to speak. And so he was talking about all the, you know, basically living right, which again, is a bit of a stereotype, but an understandable thing like, hey, you know, we actually need to, to live out our beliefs, which is his point. Yeah. And so he goes, you need to stop watching these uh, shows and you need to stop going to those movies and listening to that hip hop jazz music. That's exactly what he says. That's, he literally that's... said it. And without saying anything, Jordan and I make eye contact, stand up basically walk to the back of the room, like exit out the, it's Vespers. So we like leave, we go into the, if you've ever been to the Collisdale church, they have this big foyer. We go into the middle of that and bust out laughing, just out the double doors onto the carpet right before the steps. And we start laughing so hard. We're like, he actually said it. So to me, that's that stereotype of, of ageism. Now ours wasn't, um, necessarily mean at all but it was this kind of idea that old people don't really because there's no such thing as hip-hop jazz like hip-hop and jazz are two different styles hip-hop might you could argue originate from jazz because jazz started rock and roll but but they're separated by two or three different generations of music um if anything you could argue that r&b and jazz are are but they r&b is not hip-hop you know what i mean so it just it's just this idea where they just blend this idea and that stereotype of them is a stereotype of the ageism they have, um, which is that all these kids and they're, they're young, you know, it's this dismissive thing. So it's kind of a, it's a, like a inception of ageism there, a turducken of, of ageism. A turducken so, of ageism. Uh, I love it. But there's your sound bite. Uh, that's, that's the episode <laughs> title. <laughs> the turducken of, no, um, but really, that's it's what it is. It's this idea that like all old people are like this, all young people are like this, all middle aged. You know, every middle aged guy has a midlife crisis. No, that's not true. Like that's a stereotype, um, and and a negative one. Um, now, I'm sure a lot of people go through it. I'm sure it happens. I'm sure you have a midlife realization. But not everyone has a crisis. Like, not everybody can't handle being in the... Like, I know several people in their 50s. I mean, Roger Hernandez is a great example. I really hope he doesn't have a midlife crisis now. Uh, but, you know, he's just this dude where it's like he seems to be getting better as he gets older. Like, he's, in, he's you know... Um, um, yeah, just someone up. needs to teach him how to use Twitter. Yeah, well, that's... I'm kidding. I love you, Roger. Yeah. I know you don't listen to All this, right. but I love you. Um, um. <laughs> 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 There's your soundbite. Um, so, so, but yeah, like it's that idea that oh, I'm better just because of age. I mean, it's like it's it it really is like racism. Like racism is just I'm better because your race is worse than mine, or my race is better than yours. Like my skin color 
is makes me better because my age makes me better simply because I am that age. And while certain parts of it might ring true or have a flavor of truth about them, um, age does bring experience. It can, it doesn't necessarily, because if you don't learn from your mistakes, you can be repeating the same one over and over and over. Um, but generally, yeah, like if you haven't lived long enough to actually, you know, feel some things, yeah. I mean, you, you know, it's like that scene from, uh, um, oh, what's the, uh, I can never remember the name of this film. Uh, it's the one from Boston with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, and he's the, the math genius. Oh, come on. Don't do this now. I, I know. Don't. Goodwill, Goodwill hunting. hunting. Thank you. Oh my! I'm saying that's even good. Was, hunting. We were gonna have to shut. I know. We were not. We were Stop not gonna be able to air this. Like just scrub everything. We were not gonna be able to air Woo! this. Yeah. Uh, so it's like they're saying Goodwill Hunting. The he, you know, Will uh, gets under Robin Williams' character, the the uh, the doctor, the, the therapist. He gets under his skin for the first meeting, and then he takes him outside the woods and goes, "You know, I was gonna be really angry at you, but then I realized you're just you're just a kid. Like you you don't know what it's like to experience those things. So what you were saying, you were only saying to get under my skin, and you didn't understand the weight of those words behind it because yeah. you've never experienced what you've never experienced loss like that. You've never experienced yeah. love like that. You've never, you know, and he talks about his Vietnam War experience. You've never held your buddy, you know, and watched the light go out of his eyes. So you you can't know. And so I don't blame you for saying those things because you don't understand if you understood. So there is a kernel of truth behind some of these ideas, but the problem is with age ageism, the difference between ageism and understanding understanding people is that ageism dismisses positive uh, uh, contribution. And I think that's the big issue that I see with ageism is that, for instance, in your your example, right, your older colleagues or your church members dismissed the fact that you had something to bring to the table because of your age. So because of your age, you could not bring anything. You could not have any positive uh, – mm-hmm. you, you just – you couldn't add to the conversation or make things better or get things right. Um, yeah. And that that's the issue with it. That's the issue with any ism. Any ism that you have, it's that it dismisses any positives and only focuses on the negatives and, and just removes from the account. Um it doesn't mean that there aren't negative, you know, qualities or associations, but it, it just means that you dismiss any positives. And I think that's the really big issue. I struggle with the same thing. Um, I've been doing ministry for, let's see, I'm 28, 13 years, 14 years now. Um, and I've been around, like I haven't just done it on a local level. Like I've done it on a state level. Uh, I've done some stuff on uh, union level, multi-state level. Um, I've done it as a worker. I've done it as a volunteer. I've done it as a paid employee. Uh, I've done it as a student director. I've done it as a director. I've done ministry from a variety of different places, from a variety of different um, uh, uh, cultures, shall we say, around this country. Um, and to a degree, it has made me a little bit arrogant. That's something that I'm having to learn to not talk out of my experience, right? I haven't been to, to other places in the world and I shouldn't talk about that, but to a degree, I have a lot of experience in ministry, particularly say for instance, in how churches get built, having been a part of, of multiple church building projects, um, and, and looked for church and taken a class on it. And so when the church I was at had a board and they asked me to sit on it about, you know, the, the plans for the church building they were planning on building, I was like, yeah, absolutely. I have experience in this area. I'd love to help out. Now that didn't mean I wanted to take it over. I just had something to bring to the table. I had ideas. I had concepts. I go, this isn't going to work because of this, this, and that. And they had one particular idea where they were going to insert the, the baptistry permanently in the stage. And it was going to be a raised up baptistry. And I go, this is a really bad idea because you're you're basically taking a full third of your usable space and removing it. And I was just dismissed out of hand. 
not not because the people in there were rude or anything, but but I feel like it very much was because well, you don't know what you're talking about, and and it's yeah, like you're just here. No, I do know what I'm talking about. I'm I you know, forget the pastor part, forget the class I took. I'm you know an artist. I do theater. Like if someone were to do that, I can tell you right now from someone who would plan how to work stuff. You know, from someone who's directed plays before, you're you're using you're losing usable space. Like you can't use that. You yeah. can't put something on top and then just be like, hey, that's a that's a covering over a whole like that. You can't use that, and they just didn't get it. Like you can't set anything on that. You can't put people on there. Like that's done, and they yeah. just didn't get it. And it just it it was demeaning. It hurt. It hurt. It was disrespectful. I felt not only not only dismissed, but disrespected as an individual. And I yeah, think that's the issue. And... and that's not what they were intending. Understand, like, there are times people have tried to be disrespectful to me, and God loves them, you know, bless their hearts. Um, but Thank you. <laughs> but <laughs> because of my age, Ryan, not just because of, but they were not intending that, but that's how they came across. And that, again, is what ageism does, is whether or not you're intending it, um, you disrespect that person, you know? Mm-hmm. Like when, when they just say, oh, well, you're too young to really understand, you'll get it when you're older. You're basically insulting my intelligence and saying that I am not smart enough to handle this. I cannot grasp the concept. Now, yeah. in the case of children, that might be true developmentally. Like a five-year-old can't really grasp the concept, you know, of the universe. But I was five and my grandpa died and I understood what was happening. Like I got it. Like I didn't get the full all of everything that encapsulated around it, but I got that I wasn't going to ever see him again. Right. Like I, I, I understood why yeah. everyone was sad. Like I couldn't empathize necessarily because I, I didn't really understand. I didn't have, I didn't have the amount of memories with him to make me truly sad, but I understood the gravity that I would never see my grandfather again. Like I got that at five. But I, I remember people telling me, like, oh, well, you'll understand when you're older. Like, and I'm like, no, 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 I get it now. I remember, th- like, I remember thinking that. Like, I remember kind of being pushed aside and, oh, well, you know, my, my, my parents didn't take me to uh, the actual funeral. Uh, they took me to the burial or the graveside, but not the actual funeral because they were like, well, we don't want him to, you know, see uh, uh, his grandfather be scarred. And I'm like, you know, and looking back, I was like, well, I could have seen that. Like, I, I could have handled it. I mean, who knows? But I think I could have because the reality is like, yeah, I I was, I understood what was happening. Um, And I remember being that age thinking like, no, I get it. Like, I get it. Like, you don't have to pat me on the head. Like, I I understand what this means. Um, And that's, and that's why it's so dangerous, you know, because I was able to move on from that. But imagine if I hadn't, like, imagine, you know. Mm -hmm like for the rest of my life, I'm now carrying this idea that I'm too dumb where I'm not smart enough. Um, and I'm very lucky that I'm, I'm very confident in who I am because I did not walk away from say my, that, that subcommittee at my church thinking, well, maybe I don't know anything, but I'm very confident in who I am. I have friends, I have colleagues that I know aren't like me, that they have come into situations like that and walked away thinking, maybe I'm just not a good pastor. And I'm like, no, you're a very good pastor. You're very talented. You have all this, you know, don't listen to them. Um, or not even from a pastor perspective, but just like imagine a volunteer. Because that's the other thing. At least my friend had a salary. Like the conference, if nothing else, thought that they were worthy of a salary. Yeah. Can you imagine if a volunteer? I mean, that's where I really get scared is, is our young volunteers. You know what I mean? Who are trying their best and maybe haven't even had that much experience. Well, and this is this is this is kind of my big problem because it's tokenism at its best. That's what it is. It's the token young person that, oh, who we need someone to run the website. Well, let's just make them run the website that no one ever uses or checks. Oh, we need to uh, because, our you know, the website is, you know, it's not really an integral function of our church, but it's just something a young person can do. And Uh, let's get a junior deacon because junior anything is in the Bible. Yeah. Well, and like and then and then they don't give they give the substance of power, 
I'm sorry. They give the 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 uh, semblance of power without the substance behind it. So they're like, oh, run yeah. this thing, but don't make any real changes. Just make it better. And you're like, all right, well, this needs like major design over. Like this needs a major overhaul. You don't even know what you're doing. You just you know you you do research because YouTube, and you're like, this needs a major major overhaul. And they're like, well, we don't really want to. Ah. And it's like, okay, you know it, it that. Yeah. It just wrecks you. And same with Junior Deacon. I mean, I was Junior Deacon, but I was literally shadowing my dad. So I was 11, by the way. So it wasn't like I was 14, 15, like some of these Junior Deacons. I'm like, no, no, they can be a deacon. That's a 15-year-old. Like, I get that you can't really be a deacon until you can drive yourself to church. But if you can find a way to get a ride, like, he can be a deacon. She can be a deacon. Like, that, that's, yeah. There, there's, well, and that's 14, 15, you can do the job. That's a, that's the problem. Like young people in in churches that do this, um, because I think I'm falling into the same trap if I just say churches do this. But in churches that do this, um, the young people aren't actually an integral part of the church of the success of the church or the health of the church. They're just there. Those young people could be replaced at any time with someone older, and they would be. Uh, and it would be like nothing ever changed because that young person's contribution was limited. Right. The quality of that young person's contribution was always limited from the start because they were only intended to be the token young guy that makes them all feel better. I watch this happen every single GC, every single annual council where we bring just this random table of young adults. Man, it almost feels like uh, when we bring the essay presidents from the universities to give yeah. them a seat at annual yeah. council. I know they get voice and vote. Don't get me I know they get to vote, but it just feels like we parade it around like we parade. And I know because I was someone who was paraded. I was someone who was like, look, look, look at look, look, we hire person. millennials. Okay, now go sit, we, we, go sit yeah. in the corner. No, no, no. The adults yeah, are talking. Like go, go sit in the corner. We don't, we don't actively look to give them opportunities. Um, we don't actively look to, to like, I'm 26 and I, within a year of pastoring, I was already looking to mentor someone else and have them live with me for an entire summer and give them the experience. Like I'm already looking for active ways to train people below me. And I'm not like tooting my own horn there. I'm just saying um, at 26, and I still consider myself young, uh, most pastors would consider me young for sure, I'm already thinking about people younger than me and how I can empower them and give them opportunity. Right, yeah. And that that's the point, is that's what we should be doing. Um, but there's a flip side to this, and, and, I, and I did this intentionally, but there, there, there's a flip side to this because, and this is the real reason I wanted to talk about this today, uh, is not because of that. Though everything we've talked about is 100% valid and true, we both feel very passionately about it, and we've lived through it. Um, the reason that I personally wanted to talk about this today is because of the other side. Mm -hmm. and it's the anger and vitriol that I'm watching uh, come from the um, come from younger pastors, from younger Christians, and even in some cases older Christians. Um, I'm watching. I literally, I have never seen more than in the past year. Um, I've never seen more people say, I just can't wait for the next, for this generation to die off so we can get our way. And to me, there is nothing more disgusting than wishing people would die just so you can be comfortable. Um, and not only that, but assuming that just because of their age, they are, uh, that they have a certain worldview or a certain belief system. Yesterday, just yesterday, I spoke at a live youth rally in Spartanburg, South Carolina. We're recording this on March 10. I'm surprised I still have a voice. A live youth rally, not a live yeah. youth rally. A live yeah, youth no, rally. Alive, like alive the youth rally. Yeah. At this youth rally, the church bands together. They pour everything into this youth rally. And I don't think I don't think that the church that hosts it is perfect. Don't get me wrong. But I watch people of all ages in that church. Uh, pouring into the success of that church, people in the kitchen, people in the volunteers setting up Kevin, Kevin Watson, the dude that that basically he comes in and he's up till midnight, 1 a.m. for up to two weeks prior to the event, getting it set up, providing in a, a, a place for young people to experience Jesus. And he fights off all the criticism. I see older volunteers sitting in the room. While loud music is playing, very loud music is playing, and they're sitting in that room alongside those youth, and they just have earplugs on, or they have earmuffs on, because they say, I want to be here, 
I've committed to serving these youth and this isn't my style and yeah, it's too loud, but I'm going to be in here with them. Not every single person who's older than us acts this way. And it is, you know, acts, acts in a way that devalues, disrespects, and does not look to empower young people or young adults. And I, and it just, it, it disgusts me when we assume or just wish that the older generation would just die off or retire already so that we can have our way. I get that there's a certain amount of people who who are clinging for too long and do need to let go. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely. I think that pride and uh, fear run a lot of things. But man, is it really bad the other way as well. Uh, the ageism is just so bad. The devaluing and, and the disrespect to an entire generation uh, born out of, let's be honest, born out of the frustration caused by older people devaluing young people. And it's this vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle. Absolutely a vicious cycle. I mean, you see it with, with even Elisha when he, when he gets called a bald man by some, by some younger men. Um, and like, this is a, it's a cyclical thing that keeps that, that happens. And it's sad to me and it's, and it's angering to me, um, because I know we can do better. Like, I just know we can do better than that. You know, one of the things, again, ageism assumes that you cannot bring anything to the table because of your age. Um, one of the things that I am learning so much about uh, in mentoring, that that is just a huge passion of mine. Like when I heard you were going to host, um, you know, a, a young, you know, basically intern and work with them. I mean, it was just so amazing to me. Uh, because I'm like, yes, that is exactly what we should be doing. Like, I don't know why. Like, I was very, I was very blessed because I got to live in my senior pastor's house for three months. Basically, um, I was looking for a house, and they had an extra room, and they were absolutely amazing to me. They're amazing, amazing couple, Dwight uh, uh, Seek and Jenny Seek, um, and they have uh, two amazing daughters that became like sisters to me. Um, they they really just adopted me in and Dwight and I would spend, you know, every day talking to each other and and it became more of a partnership. It really wasn't mentoring. It really wasn't because we were growing together, which was amazing. But the fact that I got to know them on that level was was absolutely amazing. And I started mentoring while I was there. Um, I would take, you know, uh, uh, people and from my youth group for my young adult groups. And I'm not to say that, oh yeah, well I, I imparted to them knowledge, but I would check up and be like, how are you doing? You know, let's get you a leadership role. What can I do to help you out? Um, and I wish I could have done it for more. Unfortunately, I only had a limited yeah. amount of time. Um, I, if I had been there longer, I would have, I would have really reached out to a lot more of the people that I wanted to, but you know, to be able to do that, even some of the high schoolers, you know, that was more, that was less of a mentoring role, more of a kind of a teacher role, but to a degree, you kind of get that. Um, and I, in turn, flipped that around and looked at the older members of my church, and I asked them for advice because I realized as I was doing that, uh, and I'll be completely honest, uh, you know, I, I had a counseling class, and they asked us, or not a counseling class, sorry, a, a interpersonal ministries class, and they they literally said like what is a, a a group of people that you have a hard time connecting with, and mine was older older generation like sixty plus. Um, I really struggled to connect with them. I really struggled to click with them. Um, I I just do as a whole as a group. Yeah. I mean, very yeah. it's very rare for me that I am able to do that. And I have friends who can. I have friends that love it, but they're like, "Oh, let's go to the retirement community." And I'm like, I would rather have somebody punch me directly in uh my my reproductive system throat. throat. Yeah, let's go with that. I was say throat. Um, <laughs> throat means I could die. Like I just want to be in pain. No, I would literally rather have somebody take you know slather me in sugar and send me in the middle of a mosquito you know, nest. That's me, but with general, with human interaction in general. Well, yeah. But that's cause you're a gold or I don't know. There's this color Enneagram thing. I don't know, whatever. Uh, Everyone's talking no, about I'm Enneagram. Enneagram. I'm a three on the Enneagram. I don't know what that even means. I need to study that up. These kids in there. The Enneagram is actually, so sidebar, the Enneagram is amazing because it doesn't just tell you what, what you're good at or it, it actually focuses on what motivates you. And so it's I, actually 
No, go ahead. It's it, like it's the it's the internal motivations for why you behave the way you do. And ultimately, most of the time, that's actually more negative than it is positive. So it can actually show you the weaknesses um, of how you act and how you behave. Uh, that's why I think the Enneagram is so valuable. I swear, Sorry, Enneagram. Continue. No, 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 you're good. Enneagram and the Myers-Briggs are like the horoscope. Like that's the, uh, that's uh, like Christian or not even because like specifically Adventist astrology. But also Christian astrology, like I see a lot of evangelicals and they do that. And I'm just like, dude, this is our version. Like to a degree, I think it's a little bit more accurate, but I'm like, I, I was going to say, do it and do it and, and that. tell me you're not, it's, oh, it's do it and tell me it's, it's cause not you're accurate. a seven. That's why, that's why it, that happens anyway. Um, <laughs> no. So, uh, uh, I don't even remember what I was talking about. I, I think in order for mentoring to happen well, we need to have older members of our church. A healthy church is a church that has every age demographic. Um, I used to be a huge advocate of, we need a young adult church. We need a young adult church. I want to plant a young adult church. And instead, now I'm realizing, a hu- okay, yes, but what that means is so different. It's a church designed to reach and help young adults, not made up of young adults, because young adults— cannot help other young adults. Yeah, it's, it's a church it's, about lifting up and empowering young adults, yeah. It, asking young adults to help other young adults is like asking horses to watch after other horses, right? It, it's yeah. they're they're all just running around or asking the drowning guy to save the yeah, other drowning it's like, guy because all of us are drowning in student loan right, debt. Right, yeah, and and we're all, you know what I mean? It's like no, get get someone who's been around the block and understands it. Um and what I found is you need older people, older members who are able to train and equip younger members. Yeah. And to me, every age has value. And be, it, it, to me, again, the same thing that I said about younger generation, reverse that and apply it. Our elderly members have stuff that they can bring to the table that are that can be useful to us. Now, do I think that... There needs to be an understanding, yes, and I think it takes leaders of the church to come together, sit down, and actually say that. So I think it takes our listeners, right, uh, everyone who's in our audience, you, if you are involved in a, a, a any kind of organization, religious or non-otherwise, take a role, sit down, find the older members, find the younger members. I don't care if it's a five-year age gap or a 38-year age gap, like— there's always older and younger. Tell the older ones, find a younger one. Like, if you've been around the block at all, do this. Um, they were talking about how valuable this was, I think, in the nursing system. I was reading about this somewhere where they, they this one hospital, um, they weren't a teaching hospital per se, but what basically it was similar along the lines where they had nurses, uh, if they got above a certain age or a certain amount of years accrued, in the time served kind of a thing, um, what they would do is they would give them essentially like a, a slight pay raise and they would mentor one of the younger nurses just coming in. And so then once yeah. that nurse had accrued up enough time, they would get a slight bump and then they would start mentoring other people coming in. And so what was happening, they found that not only was the hospital more efficient uh, because everyone was learning those little like cheats, um, but be, by being intentional about it, people felt like they had, and it wasn't a perfect system, right? Because not every mentorship yeah. works and not everyone's a good mentor. Uh, but what they found by being intentional, people felt much more comfortable in the place where they were working. They felt like they belonged. Um, and part of that mentoring wasn't just at the workplace. Like you, they gave them, I want to say one meal a week. And they basically said, you have the stipend go out. Do something like that. Um, and it, it was just amazing to me to see how valuable that was because people who've been around, they have something to add to the table. Not everyone, not everyone, but I think for us to simply dismiss an entire generation um, because we think they don't have anything to add to the conversation, and they might not. Or, or because they've already added enough to the yeah. conversation. And, and even so, that is not healthy on our part. Our job is to try to filter the bad and, and stick with the good. And their job is to try to uh, not 
not assume, right? And and to say, how can yeah. I step aside and still be helpful? Because I think that's the other problem, right? Is us as young people coming up, say, all right, it's our turn. Get out of the way. Instead of saying, I want to be involved. Let me, help me do this, right? Because I think if we came with that spirit, instead of let me take over and just with, I want to I wanna get involved in ministry, how can, help me. I don't know how, yeah. help me. I think we came with that attitude. I know for me when I, I that's the attitude I always try to have, right? Is, hey, I, I might even be better at this than you, but you've been around. How can you help me? Um, yeah. Well, and this I is, use cars this is something as too. a as a as a reference for this. The the Pixar movie Cars, if you've ever seen it. Oh yeah, that's the reference for this. Okay, fair, nice. Um, you you. I think I am your I am your Hornet. Wait, what was what was the old? I don't. I, the old cars I don't want to. I don't want to admit. I'm gonna have to admit. You're gonna force me to admit that I've never seen. Yes, cars. yes. We'll no, have to I've watch never it. Seen no, it's cars. great. Um, so I. I think the big problem for this is it's twofold. A, we've done a lot of generational segregation in our churches. Um, but B, so but B, and this they feed into each other here. B, church really isn't the place for conversation. Church is a place where you sit in a program. You might have some solid discussion, but because you're segregated by generation, the discussion you're having is with people your age. And so the the issue becomes um, you have all these people separated, never learning from each other, never interacting with each other, never getting to know each other. And so this is what happens. You get, you get situations like this. Uh, I've had this happen to me. My dad died when I was 17, in case anyone doesn't know. He died of a heart attack. And I've had people just, if I didn't know how to do something, literally tell me, well, your dad should, didn't your dad teach you this? Oh, you should have your dad teach you this. Oh, yeah, let me just go call him real quick, Right. Because you don't, you've never bothered to have a conversation with me and you assume that, that my life ha- lives up to a certain standard or has certain factors involved in it. You look down on me because I don't know something uh, because my dad should have taught it to me when my dad literally couldn't. So I'm asking for help because I don't know, because I didn't have anyone to teach me. And so these are the kind of things that happen when we separate ourselves from each other and then no one talks to each other. Because even if your worship service is the thing that's intergenerational, even if your worship service is the thing that's intergenerational, those people are still not talking to each other. They're only worshiping together. That's it. They're not getting to know each other better. We all know where the youth section of our church is. For ours, yeah, it's from the, the balcony. pulpit, it was the right <laughs> front section, man. Right, right there. When I was growing up, it was the balcony. That, yeah, no, that, and that's where the youth are, Right. And it's like that should never happen. Not just because, oh, well, they should be with their family. No, because older generations should go there and not to make sure they're off their phones or whatever. Like they should be there because they're like, in our church, we go to you. You know what I mean? Yep. I had a friend who was taking notes on her iPad uh, of the sermon so that she could lead a discussion with other people her age after after church. And uh, she's a former student. And while she was uh, while she was taking notes, a church woman came up to her, an older lady came up to her and said, hey, you need to put your iPad away. Uh, that's not that's disrespectful in the house of God. And she said, well, I'm taking notes of the sermon. Like, look, you can you can see that. She's like, I don't care. It's disrespectful. Put it away. That's not the attitude that that is helpful, I think, in um, in the house of God. But beyond that, like. Like the worship service is not the place where generations get to know each other. And there is, and if Sabbath school is so separated out that we can't even get to know each other there and that young people and old people both don't have a seat at the table to talk and their, their opinions validated and affirmed and valued, well then great. You're what you're going to do is have a whole bunch of Christians walking around, assuming things to be true about older people and assuming things to be true about younger people without ever actually saying a word to them. I can count on one hand the number of older people that I talk to as a younger person. And I, this is going to sound terrible. Uh, this is going to kind of fly in the face of everything I said. But for the time being, uh, when, when you're talking about youth versus young adults or youth versus older, older people, I will say the first step in this, uh, largely, depending on how young a person is, uh, or how old a person is, the first step does fall on the older person because the young person can't see outside. In many cases, the young person doesn't see outside of their world. Yeah. 
because this is all they've experienced. And so they don't even know to be intentional about talking to someone older than them. They don't know how to reach out. Older than them. They don't know how to reach out and you get to teach them and which empowers them, which equips them. And then when they do have a seat at the table, then there's a voice worth worth listening to. And it's a voice that you know and you trust because you got to know that person because you built a relationship with them. That's like now young people, if you're listening to this, like if you're even around our age in in late teens, there's nothing stopping you from striking up a conversation with someone older than you. In fact, my intern was incredible at this. He found out more about some of my church members in five minutes than I could find out in a year. He was so good at asking questions and talking with them. Like his interpersonal skills were incredible. Um, just absolutely mind blowing to me. I was so jealous of him actually. And that's my point. Like he brought something to the table that I didn't have. Right. And yeah. It, it, it's huge. It's huge. If we would just, if we would, when we recognize that we were in these positions, take the first step. And I really wish we would look for some of the good that these, that, that generations bring to the table. And here's the thing. Um, if, I, if, I just wish we would. If you're involved in an organization uh, like a church that does this, it can always be better. Like continue to do like, don't stop. You know, this is an encouragement, like keep that up. Um, if you're listening to this and you are a, a younger person, find a mentor. I mean, be careful about it, uh, but find someone that you look up to that, that goes about their work. You know, I got to be honest. I'm very yeah. lucky that I have a dad that I can call and have a relationship with and respect um, and talks to me, but it's hard. It's hard to, because he's my dad. He can't really mentor me in that sense. He's just parenting at that point. Um, so it's been hard for me to find a mentor. Um, it really has to find someone that I connect to. I mean, there are lots of people that I respect, but to, to find someone that had that um, and I'm still looking for it, but I've been very active about that. Like I've gone out and I've looked and I've tried to contact mm-hmm. and, and to a degree, sometimes that happens. Uh, but you got to be patient. Like keep do Like keep going. Keep going. If you're involved, or if you have a church that is open to that, if you're an older member listening to this, if you're a younger member listening to this, like get out, get involved. Um, yeah, because it makes a huge. Like even my dad, just just being able to call him up and ask him, you know, about a certain situation makes a world of a difference. Even if he doesn't say anything then other than yeah no that's a good decision it just makes a world of a difference because he's been there um and it'll it it, the value on both sides of the table is so huge because you do have something to bring um well and and i can say from my perspective from being a mentor uh the most the most fulfilled i have ever felt in a leadership position was not doing, but in watching others do and training them and watching them have success. Mm-hmm. Even my own success felt like, yeah, because I earned it. Like it didn't, I didn't really feel pride in it per se as much as like, yeah, you better freaking clap for this play. I worked my tail off for it. But watching someone else succeed, I, there, I, I, it's just, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's, it's yeah. a high that I get why people do run. Right. Like I get why people do these runs to get that yeah, high. Cause I'm like, Oh, that's that feeling. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Stephanie Johnson taught you that high. Yeah, she um, did. Love you, Steph. She, she is the king. She's the queen of, of she was one, of, and empowering one of, but she's very good people. Um, the, there was a time when I was pastoring, I let a, a 18 year old preach and he was a brand new Adventist. He'd only been an Adventist for maybe a year. And so he, when he preached, and I wasn't there that day, but when he preached, uh, he used a lot of Greek mythology in his sermon. He used a whole lot of stuff, right, to the small country church. And one of my members threw a fit over it and actually publicly corrected a lot of his preaching as soon as he was done. And um, I heard about this afterwards, and I approached, I approached that member, and I asked him what happened and he told me, he's like, Pastor, we got to correct them. You know, whatever sin is done publicly, like we have to correct publicly. Uh, you know, that you know, that kind of thing damages the church. And I said, Tell me how your faith is damaged. Go ahead. Just tell me how your faith was damaged by an 18-year-old preaching stuff that you already knew wasn't really like wasn't totally on the mark because he's a new Adventist. Go ahead and tell me. And he's like, Well, saw it, saw it, it saw it. 
It's not about me. It's about the visitors. You mean the visitors that you're very well, you're very capable as an elder of this church of calling and letting them know what's going on. Like, and letting them know, you know, like, this and, is my and point. Visitors me, know, me, like if they're yeah. a visitor, yeah, they visitors don't know, know the difference. No, like, and that's, that's why, like, he they can see it's he, an 18 was, so we gotta we gotta kid. we gotta defend and how dare he it's it's yeah exactly like he's we gotta defend it we gotta defend the truth and all this and i'm like listen your faith is fine his is the one that's developing you are the person like it's not that you're old and that's not why i don't i don't care about you it's that his faith is growing and your faith is secure your faith was not damaged at all by what he taught because you know exactly what you believe. What you watched is a young man exploring and growing in his faith, and you had the opportunity to empower and affirm him, and instead you used it as an opportunity to tear him down. And that's not okay. Like, our priority should be always to try and empower people, give them the opportunity to teach Give them the opportunity to learn. Give them the opportunity to grow. And give them the opportunity to fail in an environment where failure won't mean the end of the world. I think that's the thing that always annoys me about, like, the essay and the GC and all this stuff. Uh, uh, or not that, but, like, the 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 um, those situations where they give us, quote-unquote, young people that see the table is because you know we don't have room to fail. Um, the best way I can say this, if you actually are giving someone uh, power— or authority, if they don't do their job, will that not happen? That's the best way I can say it, right? That's yeah. the best way. If they don't do it, it doesn't happen. If there's a secondary line or a cutoff or a net of some kind, that's not really like, I, I love essay, but if we didn't have essay, we would exist as students. Like we would still have stuff. Like there would, things would still happen. And that's the thing that always bugged me is like, okay, so that's not really, there's, there's really no room to fail. I mean, yeah, it's nice, Mm. you know, getting a, yay. Oh, we had a space themed, you know, banquet. Woo. But if, if that was suddenly done away with, we don't miss it. But if you make, someone the musical director of your church and then you say okay you're in charge and then you just walk away that's when that's when they have real power and i know that sometimes it's hard to get that culture around i i've struggled in my vespers group with that line because some people haven't seen like they don't they didn't really understand that and so it just looked like i was trying to not really be involved and i'm like no 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 i just i had to like like remind them like no 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 like do your thing like i'm giving you space to do it and so sometimes that doesn't work but you have to be able to give them space to fail yeah well and that's my thing too like i used to be like oh you know it's it's really important that i'm there to watch and support the young people doing something and then i realized like no i think actually the biggest the biggest demonstration of my trust in your ability to do something is the fact that i don't feel like i have to be there it's the fact that I can just sit back and relax and let you take it and let you do it because I know you're going to be successful and I'm not worried. Um, now, I think that needs to be communicated, <laughs> like, right? Like, I'm not just going to not show up, but I'm just going to be like, yeah, I'm probably not going to be there because I believe in you and I don't feel like I need to be there because I know you can do this. Yeah. Um, I have full confidence in you and I'm a phone call away if you need me. Go for it. But yeah. like, that's, um, I just, I see there's so much, there, there is so much space for us to do better in these categories. And the last thing I want us to do is in our frustrations with the state of the church, um, sit there and just wish people would die, wish people would leave, wish people would just change, um, in order so that we can be more comfortable in wherever, whatever stage of life we or, are. Or get what we um, want. Or get what we want. Exactly. I, I really, um, I do feel strongly about it and, I think the tone of our conversations need to change. And I think the first thing we can do is find someone who doesn't walk in our shoes, in our, in our generation's shoes, and strike up a conversation with them and get to know them and learn their perspective and their value. Uh, because I think there's so much to be learned from those who have walked before us. And I think there's so much to be learned from those who've walked after us. After all, there's a reason that my mom calls me whenever there's a technology problem in the house. Because there are certain things that she knows that I am more privy to because of when I when I grew up, not just my age, but when I grew up and how I grew up. I thought it was your beard. So I, I always that thought too. that was because of the beard. Um, so, so um, yeah, I just 
So, Tony, thank you for having this conversation with me, man. I appreciate it. I've been wanting to vent about this for like <laughs> three weeks now. I, I feel um, like half so. the time when we come up with episode ideas, it's stuff that we've seen and we're like, we have to talk about like, like we just call each other, text each other, and we're like, we have to talk about this. Like, I gotta, I gotta talk. We're, yep. we're recording. Yep. I was like, all right, I know what we're recording this week. Bump everything else. We're talking about this. It happens all the time. Hey, thank you guys so much for listening to Absurdity. Uh, if you want to follow us, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify or any other podcatching app. If you do follow us on iTunes, please leave a review. In fact, uh, this month, so or not this month, but uh, about yeah, over the next month, so middle of April, let's say April 15 is the cutoff day. Uh, those that have left reviews, including those who have left reviews before this episode announcement, uh, we're going to be doing another drawing for a $50 Amazon gift card. So if you will please go leave a review on iTunes for us, uh, your name will be entered into the drawing for an Amazon gift card. If you've already filled out a review before this, your name is still entered into it. The only people who are not are those who've won this contest before. So you can't win twice, unfortunately. Do I, do I get one and if I, I put it in? Maybe. So <laughs> you, can, you can get an entry, Tony. I mean, I don't know, always know who it is because the email, sometimes people's usernames are separate. So, or oh, like, are, are not their name. Oh, I have like to it's anonymous. So the other anonymous thing is, like, Yelp you, have to, you have to listen so you can claim it. But yeah, go leave a review over the next month, April 15. We'll do a drawing for this and I'll announce it on Twitter, on the website, and in, our ne- and the, and in the podcast episode that follows that, that date. Um, but thank you guys so much for being a part of this journey. If you want to support us financially, patreon.com slash absurdity podcast and follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash absurdity podcast as well. Tony, thanks for being a part of this journey with me, man. Uh, and to our listeners, we'll see you next time. Today's episode of absurdity is sponsored by the haystack. The haystack is a voice for young adults in the seventh day Adventist church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.